Uh, first, I do want to welcome any guests that may be here in the room with us today. We are happy to serve you in any way that you can. Uh, just so you know, uh, <laughs> if you uh, if if you're new to Centerway, you have questions, you have concerns, you had feedback for us, we would love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love for you to share your information that, so that we can connect with you and serve you any way that we can. There's two ways to share or update your info. Uh, you can do that via our info card. Uh, or electronically on the Uversion app. The Uversion app information will be up on the screen there. Uh, the app is also useful during our gathering to follow along uh, with the message, take notes, and even give online. There are other ways to give as well, uh, including going to the, the Give tab of our website or via the offering box in the back. If you have questions, again, if you have feedback, ideas, or need prayer, the way to connect with us is by emailing us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. And there are plenty of other ways to engage throughout the week as well. Uh, we have wallpapers for our devices, Spotify playlists you can access, um, social media outlets, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals that come right to your inbox. The whole bunch of ways to connect with the life of the church, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week as well. Uh, you can visit the messages page of our website to access those resources throughout the week. Uh, you can also take next steps. One of the beautiful things about the body of Christ is that uh, God loves us right where we are, but he also loves us enough to draw us to him. And we believe that taking steps toward Christ is the way that we grow spiritually. And so uh, we want to help you in those next steps. Uh, so if you're looking for ways to grow, if you're looking for ways to serve, uh, to be spiritually coached, to get water baptized, become a centerway steward, um, or any anything else we can you can check out the next steps booth it's directly in the back in the foyer area there uh, after our gathering or we do have a next steps tab of our website if you want to check that out uh, one of the next steps that you can take in joining uh, in moving forward in your spiritual walk is by joining a circle uh, circles are starting this week we're really excited about that if you don't know what they are they're a weekday gathering of people that are desiring to spend time and do life together what we do is we kind of unpack the the Sunday gathering the Sunday message application and see how it's come to life in our week. If it has, if it hasn't, if it hasn't, then why hasn't it? And what can we do uh, to make sure that the Word of God does come alive in our lives? We enjoy conversation. Getting together is great because you get to enjoy good food as well and good company. Again, you can check out the Next Steps um, page or the booth in the back to find out more and to sign up. Now, here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering today. I'm going to be reading the scripture, all three verses of them, but they are really, really powerful and profound. Claude is going to be communicating from the Bible, and then we're going to respond to the word by singing. Can we bow our heads and hearts and just pray for God to intervene in our lives today in a fresh and a new way? Lord God, uh, we are grateful that we have your hope as an anchor for our souls, Lord God. Your word says that it's firm and secure. And Lord, I pray, God, that your word would come alive in our lives, Lord Jesus. Don't just uh, keep us stable where we are, Lord God, but I pray that you would grow us in fresh and new and profound ways, Lord God, so that we can in turn be a blessing to the world around us, Lord God. I ask, Father, for open ears and open hearts today, Lord Jesus, so that your spirit can speak in a profound way. And Lord God, we give you our days. I mean, we know that you know them all, but we give them to you and ask them to use them as you will, especially right now, right here in this moment. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, our scripture today is Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 8, 9, and 10. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That was close. Got a little feedback there for a second, sorry. Thank you, Eric. (laughs) Appreciate it. We're continuing in uh, a series uh, called Essential, and uh, we're going through the, the first two chapters of Ephesians. And uh, in case you uh, were not with us in the past week, I'll do a little bit of an overview here in the beginning, but today's uh, message is actually entitled Value. And so we're going to talk about what it is essential that we value or that we understand in the context of value. Um, last week, we talked a little bit about um, chapter uh, Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 spoke of what life was like before Christ. So basically what life was like before Christ, and that predominantly leaning into the fact that we were dead in sin. So we were dead in our sin. And in verses 4 through 7, then we talk about what life was kind of like after Christ, that we can be alive and free. And today's pericope is about how we move from death to life from being essentially slaves to our sin to being truly free, truly free. And um, I want to start by sharing a story. And if you're a sports fan, it might be familiar, uh, especially if you are a Mets fan. Um, arguably, one of the, uh, the greatest Mets of all time uh, was actually revealed by Sports Illustrated in 1985. Um, he was raised as an English uh, orphan, and he uh, studied yoga in Tibet. In fact, this pitcher was recruited and known to have pitched the ball at 168 miles an hour. Now, even if you are not a fan of baseball, I can, you can acknowledge that that's pretty darn fast, um, but just to get an idea, the typical pitcher that is really throwing some heat is throwing around 90 miles an hour, and this pitcher was throwing double that. Uh, his name was Sid Finch, Sid Finch. And when he came onto the scene, um, everybody was blown away. When Sports Illustrated broke news of his existence, um, sports media went wild. Uh, People were flabbergasted about the existence of this person. How did we not know about him? Two GMs actually called the baseball commissioner demanding that they would know who this guy was, where did he come from, how did the Mets get the rights to him. Um, He ended up with a a locker right next to Daryl Strawberry, but nobody could ever seem to to see him on the front end. And then eventually he started doing interviews. They tarped off uh, where it was that he was throwing, so you could only hear him pitching, but you couldn't even see him pitching. It just captured the world, um, definitely captured New York. In fact, the subhead of the article of Sports Illustrated read exactly this, and so I'm going to read it specifically what it says. It says, he's a pitcher, part yogi and part recluse, impressively liberated from our opulent lifestyle, SIDS deciding about yoga and his future in baseball. That was the subheading, and it's critical. The reason why the subheading is so critical is because each letter of the first, the first letter of each word of that subheading spells something out. It spells out this, happy April Fool's Day, a fib. 
You see, the staff at Sports Illustrated never dreamt in their wildest dreams that the world would actually believe something as absurd as a pitcher throwing the ball astounding 168 miles an hour, especially one who was barefoot from Tibet that was raised in an English orphanage. In fact, they had a, an actor that played his part and the world just bought into it. It was actually a rather uh, divisive thing when it kindly when it kind of came out that it was an April Fool's joke. Uh, then they started to unpack the article, and there were all these hidden messages about it's a joke. Like the whole thing is an April Fool's joke, and a lot of people thought it was really funny, and a lot more people got really angry. <laughs> in fact, an, one angry sports writer in particular was quoted as saying in an interview, "Of course I'm mad." I, waited, I wasted days of my life that I will never get back chasing something fictitious. <laughs> Here's the deal. We all get swept up in things, right? And if it's about something we're passionate about, then all the more we lean in. We're quick to grab a hold of something and run with it. And so the question I want to ask you as we move into the text today is this. What do you spend most of your energy on? What do you spend most of your energy on? And the question that I ask actually reveals the affections of our hearts, where we go for purpose and meaning, what it is that gets our attention, what captures our attention, what we lean into, what it is that we contribute our energy to. This sports writer was so mad because this story was right in his wheelhouse, and so he leaned in, all in, spent hours of his energy that he'll never get back. So what gets your energy? Will you only have so many minutes in this world? The reality is we are born. We don't know when it is that we're done on this earth, but we know that we only have so many minutes and so many hours in this life. So when you consider that reality, what you give your time and your energy to, in essence, you're identifying what it is that you're giving your life to. Yikes, right? What is it that you give a majority of your life and attention to? You're literally giving your life to that which you give your energy to, what it is that consumes your time. What is it that just captures your attention for hours on end? You're giving your life to it, your one and only life. Minutes, hours, days, you'll never get back. It's an unsettling thought. It's an unsettling thought because with modern technology and with modern marketing, everything is geared around capturing our attention and holding it, right? Here's the deal. This is nothing new. I mean, sure, there are some things new, like this phrase called, I binge watched, right? That didn't exist <laughs> 20 years ago. So there's certain parts of society that has leaned into how it is that you can get captured into certain things, but the reality is the concept of capturing your attention is nothing new. In 1985, in 1985, Sports Illustrated fooled thousands of people with an April Fool's joke, captured their attention, fed into their dreams and their aspirations, their hopes. Man, this is it. We found the one picture that's gonna dominate. Whether it's work, social media, movies, Netflix, Hulu, games, iPads, world events, books, food, relationship, the list goes on. We give our energy 
to created things, to empty things. And they never deliver. They never deliver the fulfillment that we're looking for. That's why we continue to lean in and search. We're trying on some level to save ourselves from difficulty. Some of us want to just disengage. I just, I just want to disengage. I've had a hard week. And so as much as we give all of our energy to work, now we're going to give all of our energy to relaxation. I work hard, so I play hard. I've heard that before. We want to comfort ourselves. So we run to these things. We give of our life. Our life. I mean, we can say time and energy to be nice, but we're giving of our life to these things. Our one and only life. Some of us who follow Jesus would argue that we have all of these distractions in their proper place. And that although we engage with created things, most of our energy, most of our quality energy is spent on our relationship with God. So to everyone today, wherever it is that you may fall on that spectrum, from little to no energy on your relationship with God to active, regular relationship with God, the question is this, what does your God energy, for lack of a better word, better phrase, what does it look like? What does your God energy look like in comparison to the other things you give your life to? Is it religiously going through the motions? Kind of habitually checking off boxes? Devotions, check. Read my Bible, check. Prayer, check. Is it spiritual activity? We as humans, whether we have a lot of spiritual activity, because some of you might be like, I don't even do that. I don't even have those check boxes. <laughs> from, from a lot of spiritual activity to very little, if no, spiritual activity, we tend to think if we're good enough, we can earn good or right standing with the Lord. Like, I don't do all that spiritual activity, but I'm a good person. I'm a really good person. There's a name for that. It's called religion. It's called religion. And you see, religiosity is also an attempt to save yourself versus a relationship with God. So what's the difference? What's the difference between religion and a relationship with God? Religion says control and modify your behavior. But a relationship with God reveals that our very relationship with him is an act of grace on his behalf. And when that truly takes root in our heart, the outflow of that is actually good works. It's not one before the other. It's not I do such good works that I find favor with God, but rather when I realize the grace of God, the outflow of that that transforms me is good works. So let's look at the text today. If we look at verses eight through nine, it says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see, any positive changes in our lives, including our very salvation, is not a result of our efforts. We can't take credit for it or boast. Like, hmm, I was finally good enough. Now God loves me. We can't even take credit for our salvation. In fact, it goes beyond that, as we'll see in just a moment. But listen, even the good we do should be an outflow of this awareness of who God is. Otherwise, and this is devastating. The good we do is for selfish and prideful reasons. To bring purpose or value to our lives. I do good, so I'm a good person, right? I matter, right? I'm valuable. I'm important. I mean, I'm a philanthropist. I give more than I take. I mean, isn't that impressive? It's really about me 
and how it is I'm trying to bring meaning to my life. You see, the tragic reality is we can do good things for the wrong reasons. Oh, it's devastating. It's devastating. We do good things, right things, for the wrong reasons. What's the motive of your heart? What's the motive of your heart? Some would say, I do good because it's right. And there's a lot of bad people in the world, but I'm not one of them. I'm a good person. I do good things. And that's pride. That's pride. It's not an understanding of God's grace. You see, what a person is saying when they say something like that is that prideful people think they're better than others. And so they're saying, listen, I mean, I'm depraved, but I'm not as depraved as they are. I would never do that. I mean, I do other things, but I would never do that. I mean, I think those things, but I would never say them. (laughs) I mean, I would never act on them. I would never get caught doing them, right? The list goes on. The fact is, there's a depravity of our soul, and when we try to put distance from ourselves and other people, what we're really saying is we're better than them. That's pride. That's not understanding God's grace. It's corrupt heart motivation. That's corrupt heart motivation. Some behave in order to avoid hell or be blessed. I'm going to be good because if I get on, good, on God's good side, then I'll be blessed and I'll walk in the blessings. And that's about performing and the desire for selfish gain. I'm going to be blessed. They don't understand God's grace. It's a corrupt heart motivation. Listen, as devastating as it sounds, I have endless examples that I could go through till literally every person in this room is like, darn it. Because we have corrupt heart motivations. And so are we doomed? Is that the end of the story? Yes, thank you for coming to Centerway today. God bless you as you go (laughs) now. No, we aren't doomed. Why? Because of grace. That's it. In and of ourselves, yes, we are doomed. But because of grace, we are not. But you see, to understand God's grace towards us is super disruptive. It's troubling to our humanity. Listen, God's grace is troubling to our humanity because it means we have to acknowledge our wickedness and our weakness. Grace defined is this. It's undeserved favor. You don't deserve it. We need it, but we can't earn it. We can't earn it. And that means that we're vulnerable. And listen, we don't do vulnerable well. I mean, in case you haven't noticed, we don't do vulnerable well. Our American society actually says, listen, nothing's free. If you think it's free, you're wrong. Nothing's free. You gotta earn it. Everything in this world, you have to earn. You want it? Work hard. You'll get it. And so it only stands to reason that we would take that mentality, that we would take that leaning and we would apply it to our spiritual lives, to our perspective, our perception of who God is. Okay, God, you're good, but I'm going to earn it. Why? Because I want to I earn heaven. I'm going to impress you. Trust me. I'm going to be a really good Christian. Of course, we never are. But if we can comprehend and walk in the vulnerability of the grace that God extends, it changes everything. It changes absolutely everything. It means we stop having faith in ourselves and redirect it to God. Now listen, that's more profound and it's easily said than done because we are born and raised and in the U.S. of A, we are told, listen, you can do it. 
You make yourself, you build it up, you work hard, you can accomplish anything. And it's counterintuitive to our society and to the way that we're raised. But the truth is we have to stop having faith in ourselves and redirect our faith to God. You see, faith means trust. It means trust. It says, for by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. Through faith. You have to trust. Now, some of you in the room might be like, oh, I trust God. Absolutely. No. I don't mean believe. Some of us confuse the idea of trusting and believing, and so we think faith is belief. I believe in God. No. It's talking about faith in the context of trust. I'll give you an example. Growing up, for some unknown reason, I was a really good shot when it came to any type of gun, but specifically a BB gun. My friends were like kind of enamored by it. They would always ask me to shoot things, and so I would just shoot it, and I'd hit it. And they're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Let's move farther away. And one of my friends in particular was absolutely obsessed with it. He wanted me to shoot stuff all the time we got together. He's like, shoot this, shoot this. And so I remember one time in particular, he's holding a ball and uh, he's holding it up. He's like, shoot it out of my hand. So I was like, all right. So I shot it, flew out of his hand. He's like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. He's like, I'm gonna put it on my head. I'm like, all right, it's your face. <laughs> then he put it on his head. I shot it off his head. He's like, this is amazing. <laughs> so we had some other friends over and he's like, look at what Claude can do. And so I'm shooting it out of his hand. I'm shooting it off his head. So he takes this ball, he puts it between his knees. He's like, shoot it out from between my knees. I'm like, all right, boom, I shot it flew out between his knees. He's like, That's, it's incredible, right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you think I could do it? I was like, yeah, man, it's not that hard. He's like, really? You believe I can do it? I'm like, yeah, I think you can do it. He's like, all right, here's the ball. I'm like, what's this for? He's like, you hold it. I'm like, no, no, absolutely not. I believe it, but I don't trust you. I have zero faith in your ability to shoot this ball out of my hand. He's like, well, maybe your head. I'm like, yeah, maybe you're drunk. I have no idea what you're talking about. He's like, put it between your knees. I'm like, no, you are on drugs or something, man. I do not believe you can do this, okay? I misspoke. I have zero faith in your ability to do this. I actually think Eric was present the day that this took place um, because one of my friends that was there said, I believe you can do it. I trust you. Give me the ball. He put it between his, his legs, and he's like, wait, 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 I'm nervous. He's like, why? He goes, because you're aiming the gun at me. And he's like, well, that's the way this works. He goes, all right, let me just put my back to you. So he turned around. He was wearing shorts at the time, and he got a BB embedded in the back of his knee. He should not have trusted him. Ironically, the person shooting the gun is now a police officer, so <laughs> yay. Anyway, I digress, uh, but true story. See, there's a, there's a distinct difference between belief and trust. And faith, you can live your whole life sitting in a, in a pew in chairs or whatever and say, oh, I believe in God, I believe in God. And God's like, trust me. And you're like, ah, I believe in you. But this is my life and my stuff and my family and my job. I'm not gonna trust you that much. I just believe you, believe in you. See, faith is trust in action. So let's put it all together. According to these verses, the origin of salvation is God alone. On the basis of his grace. It's on the basis of his grace and by the means of our faith. Right? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it was not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the results of works so that no man can boast or no one can boast. Got my translations mixed up there. <laughs> the origin of salvation is God alone on the basis of his grace and by the means of our faith. So the question is, have you put your faith, your trust in him? You put your trust in him. Are you still 
just kind of trusting yourself, your own work ethic, your best efforts, faith, trust in God. That trust transforms us. And the outflow, the overflow of a life that, that is in the grip of grace, living, trusting the Lord, the overflow of that is good works. You can't help but be an extension of his grace and mercy to others. Why? Because you so deeply experienced it, understanding the wickedness and the depravity of yourself and realizing that you're in the grip of grace and that you trust him with all things. And if you trust him with all things, then, then even your monetary things are not your own. And so when God says, give it to that, you just, you live with open hands. You bless others. You, you say, Lord, where do you want me to go? What is it that you want me to do? How should I respond in this situation? What is your will for my life? What do you say about my relationship? What do you say about the focus of my life? What is it I should spend my energy on? What should I devote my time to? You see, we need to focus on being before doing. But man, we love to do. We love to do. It goes on in verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. Two things to notice about this. First, we're God's workmanship. And second, we should walk in his good works. We should walk in good works. The Greek word for workmanship is actually where we get the English word for poem. We get the English word for poem. So listen, we are God's poem that he is writing. It's, it's such a beautiful concept, right? Your life is a beautiful poem that he is literally writing is what the text is saying. That we can grasp what it looks like to be in his grace. And we trust him that, that literally the narrative of our life is a beautiful poem that he's writing. Listen, you are God's work of art. You might say, no, no, I'm not. I'm no work of art. I'm rather broken. And I would say, yes, you are. Because we all are. That's why we need grace. That's why we need grace. There's an Italian designer whose name I'm going to butcher. I attempted several times to pronounce it properly, but I will not do it well, so here we go. His name is Massimiliano. Not even kidding, that's it. Even his mother says so. Adami. Massimiliano Adami. Who cares? The point is this. He's a famous Italian designer. And the reason I bring him up is because he creates tile that needs to be broken. It needs to be broken. It's very costly. And it requires an artist to place the broken tile in its proper place. The result is greater beauty that can be achieved with whole tile. It's phenomenal. It's extremely sought after and very costly. We are God's workmanship because he's actively redeeming our lives. Our mistakes, our brokenness, as well as the hurt inflicted by others. Our pain is known and it's not wasted. God's redeeming it. He's walking alongside you. This is extremely personal. It's not general, it's specific. It's specific. And so I'm gonna use the word you and when I say you, I mean we and myself included, but I wanna use the word you for a moment because I want you to realize how personal this is. He went to a cross unfairly. He was innocent and gave his life for you. Specifically, according to this text, for you. Your sin debt. He was broken 
so in your brokenness, you could be made whole. He was alone, so you'd never be. He conquered death so that even death would lose its authority and its sting. It wouldn't be your end. Listen, he's the artist, and you are the art. He's the potter, and you are the clay, and he's not done with you. He hasn't cast you aside. He's still writing a beautiful poem that is the narrative of your life. And until you breathe your last, God is not done with what he's begun in you. You know, to, to get through my undergrad, I sold artwork to pay for a majority of it. And so I understand the passion and the connection that an artist has when you have something that you've created, when you've, when you've crafted it, when you've spent hours working on it. And it's something of beauty. It's something to behold. If you've ever created anything, you know what I'm talking about. Even if it's like a stick figure or something that you're like, I don't know, I like it. Why do you like it? Because it's yours. You made it. You're proud of it. Listen, you're his. You're his. You're valuable. You're precious. And you're beautiful. This is not a pep talk. This is not a pep talk. This is the text. This is what the text is saying. Scripture is saying it is essential for you to know your value. Because if you don't understand your value, then you will waste your energy on anything that will distract you. And you'll settle for a lower, lesser version of your one and only life. And you'll wake up 20, 30, 50 years from now. And you'll have a pile of money and stuff. And you'll look around and say, what did I give my life for? I sit by those bedsides. I have conversations with people near the end of their life and they say, if only I could go back. If I could just grab a hold of that person by the shoulders and tell them what really matters in this life. What are you giving your life to? What are you giving your energy to? It's essential that you know your value. Get this, to think less of yourself is to believe a lie. And the best lies, they have a little bit of truth in them, right? That's how they fool you. There's a little bit of truth. And the truth is this, the little bit of the truth in the lie that we believe about ourselves being less is that we're broken. But because of grace, we are his workmanship. If you allow this to settle into your heart, it changes how you view yourself entirely and it will transform the way you view others. Do you see yourself as valuable? Do you see your time and energy as something precious? Do you guard it? Do you treat others with respect and dignity? They are children of the living God, children of a king. Do you pursue greatness with your one and only life? Do you? Or are you just trying to avoid pain? Are you just trying to, to keep your head down, just make it through one more day so you can fall back in the bed that you reluctantly crawled out of this morning? Because God hasn't called you to that. Pursue greatness and call the greatness out of others. Do you build your friends up? Do you build your teammates up? Do you speak truth and life into your classmates? Do you speak truth and life over and into your kids? Do you challenge them to not settle for a lesser version of their life? Not because of what the world has to offer, because that's fleeting, but because of who God has called them to be. How about your parents? Do you build them up? Do you build your spouse up? Are you their biggest cheerleader? Do you believe in them against all odds? 
Not because you're conjuring something up, but because God has done a work in you. Again, this comes back, not that we would boast, but because we have grace from God and that it transforms as we trust him that the outflow would be good works, that we would call people to greatness, that we would speak truth. Even those that speak against you, do you talk them up? Do you call greatness out of those opposed to you? Because if we get this, if we understand that we're all works of art, we understand that we're also all in process. We're all changing and we're all growing. I often thought, what if clay could speak? I assume first it wouldn't know its inherent beauty, right? I mean, clay, it just looks like a big clump. But the reality is clay in and of itself is beautiful. And I imagine that it in some way would want to avoid the pain that ultimately makes it art in the potter's hand. I assume that clay in a very similar way would be like, I kind of like that part, don't pull it off. (laughs) Don't do that, don't soften that edge, or the list goes on. If we're truly artwork in God's hand, then we have to surrender our will and our way to his will and his way. God has a plan and purpose for you. Jesus' follower there are people that only you can help. And God in his sovereignty has placed them in your sphere of influence for such a time as this. It's a divine appointment. And are you wasting it with what it is that you have differences about? Are you wasting it with with putting distance or concern about your own life? Are you living on mission? Because there's God-ordained action that only you have been equipped to do. You are the one that God has set aside and called for such a time as this. At Centerway, we have a because and therefore that speaks to our values, if you're not familiar. And the because and therefore I want to read to you this week is about God risks. It goes like this. Because God sees what we can't, we value God risks. Therefore, we respond when God speaks. Pursue efforts that require supernatural intervention to succeed. And while we aren't irresponsible, we resist the comfort zone and don't maintain or play it safe out of fear. God is calling us to something. We believe that. We believe that corporately and we believe it individually. God risk. Are you aware of God's grace? Are you trusting him? And as a result, are you walking in good works? Are you taking God risks? At Centerway, we said that as 2022 began, I shared with you in January, that we believe the, wor- the word for this year was anticipation, that we'd be filled with anticipation, both individually and corporately. And so what is it that God is doing? I'm not sure, but I know that God is at work. I know that God is at work and that he has a plan and a purpose for us individually and corporately. And so we, we lean in with anticipation. God, what will you do? And we're gonna, we're gonna live with an anticipatory spirit, believing and having faith, filled with trust, taking whatever steps he leads us to. And so I want to challenge you as as we consider the text today. We say every week that it requires something of us. And so I want us, as we go into a time of response, and even as we leave this place, that we would contemplate this question. I want to challenge you to consider this question. What step will I take in discovering what God wants me to do? 
What step will I take in discovering what God wants me to do? And the reason why we say step is because sometimes what it is that God wants us to do, it feels like overwhelming. Like, what? I don't even know how that's possible. But there's a next step. There's a next step. I mean, no matter what it is that you try to do in this world, it involves the first step. And so what's the first step? I want you, if you would, to just bow your heads, and if you, if you would like, you can close your eyes, but if you want to keep your eyes open, that's fine too. I just don't want you to be distracted as the worship team makes their way up. I want you to consider the implications of this. What step will I take in discovering what God wants me to do? For some of you, what God wants you to do is trust him, to put faith in him. You've been living your life trusting only yourself, maybe trusting well-meaning people, that has spoken lies into your life. And so today, maybe it looks like surrendering to him. And so whether you're here with us in the room or if you're watching or listening later, I want to challenge you if that's, if that's you and you want to place your trust in him, that you just pray a prayer. Similar to this, it doesn't have to be these exact words, but something along the lines of acknowledging that Jesus died for you, that you're a sinner, And that because of his grace, he'll forgive you. Lord, would you forgive me? Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. And begin a relationship with the Lord today. Maybe that's the first step for you. If you take that step, I want to just ask you to, to reach out to us so we can walk alongside you. So we can join you in the journey. If you're here present in the room today, you can go to the Next Steps area. Or you can go to our website Go to the Next Steps area on our website. For others of us that have crossed that line of salvation, we've placed our trust, our faith in God. Maybe the next step in, take, in discovering what God wants you to do is, is just declaring your availability. To just adjust where you spend your energy. To maybe say, listen, instead of escaping to other things, to created things, I'm gonna just take some time to declare myself available. Lord, would you speak to me? Would you lead me? Would you show me what it is that that you're calling me to do? God, I'm not going to escape. There's a lot of escape going on in the world today, right? They call it the great resignation. (laughs) Just a way to escape, to to start over, to back away, to run. But I want to challenge you. That's not what God has called us to. We've been placed strategically in spheres of influence so that we could participate in the narrative that he's writing. Maybe for some of you, the step you need to take is seeing your value. You've had hurtful people, some of them that are just mean and hurtful, say terrible lies about who you are and your value. Others of you have well-meaning people that meant well but spoke lies over you and, and you're struggling for what it looks like to even understand that God finds value in you. So maybe the step you have to take is discovering your value, who God says you are. For others of us, it means building others up with our words. People we've torn down in moments of anger and maybe even filled with regret. Maybe we need to go back and humble ourselves and say, listen, I said these things over you and I was wrong. Would you forgive me? And here's the truth. Others of us still are being called to a God risk. If you find yourself in a place where you're like, no, that's, 
It's not it. That's not what God's speaking to me. Maybe it's a God risk. Maybe it hasn't even entered into your heart or mind yet. But it's a God risk to further his kingdom. What step will I take in discovering what God wants me to do? What's the next step? Maybe it means entering into a spiritual coaching relationship, joining a circle, making an invite to somebody that needs desperately to hear the truth of who God is. I just wanna pray a prayer of availability over all of us as we respond to the Lord in song. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we wanna hear from you. We wanna discover the first step, Lord. We, we want to walk in faith. We wanna trust you. And so we pray that you would continue to disrupt our lives, to reorient our priorities, so that we could live on mission, furthering your kingdom for your glory. And so Lord, I pray that you would inhabit the praises of your people, that you would speak to us and lead us and guide us as we declare ourselves available. Let's worship the Lord together. Would you stand? We're just gonna sing about who God is and what he says about us this morning. Amazing love. Amazing love that welcomes me. The kindness of mercy.
peace, we can declare, I am blessed, I am called, I am healed, I am whole. We thank you so much, Jesus, for the truth of your word and what you say about us and how it changes everything. I'm so thankful, God, that you're calling us to next steps. And so today we just commit to making room for whatever you want to do, God. Claude already mentioned, this isn't about religion or checking boxes. This is about you and a relationship with you, God. So would you stir us just to daily make time in your presence and let it start right here now. And here is where I lay it 
of the gospel. Equip us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. If you want prayer for anything, we'd love to pray with you. We're going to head out to the next steps area. If you have any questions about circles, they begin this week for students, kids, and adults. And uh, you can sign up for the next steps area if you'd like. But any other questions you might have, we're available. The worship team's going to continue to play. And so if you want to just remain in this place, continue to respond that way. Bless you as you go. We'll see you next week. We're still going to be here, Super Bowl or not. Love you guys. See you next week.